0: This episode was a lot of fun. It really gave us an opportunity to uh, to learn ourselves, you know, get look up these different facts and these different things about a tree. Um, and so we really enjoyed doing it, and we look forward to doing more. But I just want to bring it up real quick. We confuse the terms red ring rot and gray or brown sap rot. Red ring rot's the little brown mushrooms that that mainly feeds off of already dead wood, where the sap rot is what kind of gets in between the rings and uh, makes it really dangerous uh, compared to the red ring rot, which usually just because you see those mushrooms doesn't mean the tree's dead or dying. You see the little white poof balls, that's the brown sap rot, and that can have bigger effects. We kind of confused some of those terms while we were talking about it. So I just wanted to throw that out there in case you hear us uh, making mistakes. Yes, we did make mistakes. Probably not the first, probably not the last. We'll do our best to correct them when we realize it, but uh, just wanted to throw it out there. With anything new, uh, reach out to us. Tell us what you think. We want to give you what you guys want to hear. We want to help you in whatever way we'll help you. Our goal is to uh, build the community. And one of the things that we've heard is that people wanted to have some episodes where we just focus in on a tree and kind of break that down. So we figured we'd give it a shot. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Like always, uh, if you could take some time to share the episodes, do all that. It, it's great to see all the interaction on social media. We've been doing the Hawaiian shirt Fridays and we've been getting feedback. People seem to like it so we're gonna keep doing it and this episode is an example of something where you guys give us feedback and uh, hopefully it turns out how you like it so without further ado' I'm gonna take care of some
1: business and then get right to it This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted Copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast.
2: Don't mess up the voodoo. All right, are we all ready? Yep.
0: These evergreen trees grow in dense forests and are one of the giants of the Pacific Northwest. They are surrounded by legend and have helped build our cities. They are one of the tallest trees in the world, and some believe the tallest ever recorded. On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we talk about the tree we use to build boats, airplanes, and buildings. We have tried to control their genetics and removed most of the old growth, yet it creates some of the most beautiful, iconic forests. This week, we talk about the Pseudasuga menziesii The Douglas fir. All right, so this week we got something new. This will be our first uh, tree of the month episode. I'm pretty stoked about that. But before we get too far into it, I'm Andrew, Jamie,
2: Eric, and Corey.
0: And uh, yeah, like I said, this will be the first one. We've been listening to the feedback we've been getting and one of the things that we've been getting is people want kind of a tree episode. Um there's other podcasts that are really good at doing this, but if you guys <laughs> ask for it, you're going to get it. So <laughs>
2: and you'll get it at a subpar level from the other places. <laughs>
0: Check out Completely Arbitrary. Yeah. Great podcast. Those guys are awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like normal don't listen to Corey. <laughs> um and yeah, i'm I'm really stoked about this. This will be fun. It's a little something different, a little something new, but it's a hundred percent related to what we do. Um, so I say we get right into it and we got Eric here. He is a master of tree knowledge. So uh, take it away. What do you got about the Doug fir?
3: Well, hey, thanks for having me here tonight, and yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. This is really one of my favorite trees and probably uh, the most iconic tree that we have here in the Pacific Northwest. I think that's that's pretty fair to say, and um, a tree that at this point has uh, really spread all over the globe. I mean, it's uh, used as a forestry tree now in most of the Northern Hemisphere and even the Southern Hemisphere in places like New Zealand. So, I mean, it's it really is a a tree that is widespread and probably, it's fair to say, integral to Modern civilization. So yeah, really excited to be covering this one tonight.
4: Cool.
0: Yeah. This will be a good one. Um and so we're gonna try to do this in a few different sections. You know, we were trying to figure out how we're gonna break down a tree. And there's a lot that goes into telling the story of a tree. You know, we got we got kind of how do you identify what makes a doug fur a doug fur. So we'll get into that a little bit. Get into the history of it, how was it you know, how was it identified and who founded, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, some of the stuff that we deal with as arborists is the common pests, the fungus, the things that uh, kind of attack the tree. And then we'll try to finish up with some uh, some random facts about it. So let's see. To get into it, well, let's start with ID, which I think everybody knows the Doug fir as, you know, it is like the big Christmas tree-shaped tree. It's just that classic conifer. I think most people, when they think about a conifer, the first thing they think about is a Doug fur that shape for the most part.
2: It yeah. has red needles, right? <laughs>
5: yeah. If it's not doing too well, it does.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. Those are the ones I'm more familiar <laughs> with. Actually, I've seen a lot of red, uh, red needles after the heat dome. That yeah, we just yeah, had. yeah. Yeah. No kidding.
5: Yeah. We're in one right now too. Yeah.
3: Oh, so Very hot.
0: Yeah. We're in a, uh, literally, well, it's not a dome yeah, the heat garage. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a hundred degrees in Eugene today.
2: And in It's 130 p- degrees in the garage right now. I was about to say we
0: are all sweating. Yeah. This is we had the uh, hot, uh, hot episode earlier, and that was nothing compared to this. Yeah. Holy smokes! We'll see how this goes. We so, might need to take a few breaks. Yeah.
5: <laughs> it's a sweat lodge. That's
3: <laughs> <Yeah. an> experience <laughs> minus, <laughs> the, minus the peyote, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What? Okay. <laughs>
5: cool. So, yeah, let's just start off. You walk up to a Doug Fir. What are you, What are you seeing?
2: Well, I, I brought in some samples here. So okay. you're seeing the, uh, the blue-green uh, foliage. That's one of the first things that I'm going to notice. And then the very distinctive um, just kind of – I don't know how to describe that. It's kind of jagged. It doesn't have – like it's a, a uniform like straight up and down trunk, but there's no like rhyme or reason to some of the branches because some are coming out at weird angles. You've got these weird reiterations going on. Some of them are drooping down. Some of them are <laughs> drooping down and then coming back up. Like it's just – it kind of defies a, like – a a box, I guess, that you'd want to put it in. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think
5: like classic mature Douglas fir, you see like the the lower canopy with really droopy branches, and once you get really up toward the top, they almost Mm -hmm. ascend, kind of totally shift.
3: Mm -hmm. Really from uh, an old growth standpoint, too, I mean, when you look at at the way that they're structured, it's one of the most complex trees, and you kind of touched on it, Corey, with the, the reiterations, the multiple tops. Um, you know they're notorious for kind of blowing their tops out somewhere just past 300 feet and then they just turn into these wolfy trees with with multiple leaders and just uh, really really complex structure which is what I love about them
0: yeah yeah no and it's kind of interesting because when they start out small they're they almost look alike all of them look the same mm-hmm. you know when they're the first little saplings but the bigger they get the more character they get it's like they you know they get a personality and if if you've ever, you know, if you're the type that's gone out and climbed and got to know these big old growth trees, you know they all have a different name, and the different name will kind of be along with their personality. You know, they it, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah.
2: Different uh, unique uh, beings for sure. And going back to the the juvenile state, you know, in that juvenile state, again, they all do look pretty much the same. You know, they're all very similar. And then they have that juvenile bark with those blisters going on that very distinctive juvenile blister bark that they don't, that they they, they will lose when they get that more uh, um, older bark, I guess mature bark.
0: Yeah. Well, when, mm-hmm. when they get older, the bark c- kind of becomes these giant platelets that, you know, you, they're not, the, you know, it's not like some of the cedars where the, it'll shed off, you know, they're solid attached, these big platelets that kind of run long up the tree, you know, and kind of weave in and out of each other. But, uh, You know, that, like the big old firs, you almost feel like you could rock climb up them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. And that bark is so thick. On those old growth, I mean, it's it's fair to say probably anywhere from 8 to 12 inches thick on a really old tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is a great fire-adapted response that they
2: have. Like, they're pretty bomb-proof trees. When they're, you know, mature like that, as long as you don't scorch the foliage and it doesn't get too hot. Like, if you just get a fire up against the base of it, it's not going to hurt it. Yeah,
5: and you can wear your spikes while pruning it. Yeah, it's great. it's great. The <laughs> bark's <laughs> really thick. Yeah. Even on those, like, 8,
3: 10-inch diameter yeah, ones, exactly. yeah, no, it's yeah, no worries. Hell, yeah. you, can, you can cut little notches <laughs> on your way up and just <laughs> climb
5: up. Cool. So we kind of talked about the crown, the branch structure, uh, mature trees are, what, like 80, 200 feet tall. You know, they get taller than that, obviously, but like, yeah. like your typical fur. Yeah, yeah. I think about uh, 200
0: feet is when they start really becoming a big dog fur.
5: Yeah.
3: I would so, say so, yeah.
0: You know, it's a, at about that point, you know, like you were saying, 300 is where they start, you know, really breaking out and sending out reiterations. But uh, that, I mean, there's the one that we took the mayor climbing in even before, and that had a reiteration at like 40 feet. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a legitimate went out probably 40 feet away from the trunk and then was another 40 feet or so up
3: and probably what a foot to 14 inches in diameter when it, When it started to make that vertical ascent, yeah, and and a small tree growing in a tree, the branch was even fatter. That that's just the reiteration. That's just the reiteration. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. that's such a cool tree.
3: Yeah, it was an amazing tree, and (laughs) and for urban uh, settings, about two hundred feet is really max. You know, when we look at we have lidar, good lidar data on you know places like Portland and Eugene, Oregon, and we know that they're you know. I believe Portland has one that's probably in the two twenty to two fifty range, which is exceptional. I think that's in Forest Park, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. In Eugene, I think we have a few in Hendricks Park that are are pushing two hundred, maybe just a little bit over. Uh, but that seems to be it for for really an urban tree. And I, a, I again, may
0: have removed the tallest Doug fir in Eugene. Oh man, probably <laughs> ten, <No>. ten <laughs> fifteen years ago. Uh, tree it, it was it was actually in right across from where we took the mare climbing. Okay. It was in those apartment complexes right there, and we took care of all the trees. I bet Sperry still does. And it was just this mass of fir that was starting to lift the building up and do all kinds of trouble to it. So we had to go out and remove it. And it, it was definitely the tallest tree I've removed, and we measured it. And it was somewhere between 220 and 230 when we measured it from the ground. Jeez. Yeah, it was an absolute monster. I felt horrible. But, yeah, I was up it, and, you know, across the street from those big ones we climbed, and those were 170, right?
3: Right. They were one, 165 and 175, I believe, the two trees, respectively.
0: Yeah, and from the top, I was like, I am easily in the tallest tree around that I can, you know, that you can, at a certain point, you can't really tell right, how tall it is. But, like, it was towering over everything.
3: Honestly, if I had a... a- a two hundred and thirty foot tall dug for on my property that was pushing up my house. I would move the house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah 100%. I mean, really, that you know that tree is irreplaceable. Houses are you know they're not a dime a dozen if you've looked at real estate prices. Not recently, not not yeah. anymore. But but you know uh, it would be hard to make that justification for for me. Yeah. yeah. No, I
0: I I think that's fair. Yeah. Although it's, it's interesting, and I'm not justifying it. You know, I think I would not support removing that tree. I obviously did it. It's one of those things that everybody that does tree work, you know, kind of has to grapple with at some point is removing big, beautiful, amazing trees. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I've removed some beautiful trees and I've walked away from trees and there's multiple reasons why both happen. And now I can't remember where I was going with that.
5: (laughs) Well, talking to tall trees, Eric, you're a bit of a big tree hunter um it says the tallest one is in coos county at 329 feet i mean i guess that's the tallest one that's been found the,
3: or Dor- the dorner or, the dorner fir or the brumet fir Brummett. you know which is uh i i prefer the the name brumet but it's yeah. commonly known as dorner uh, Brummet was just uh the the botanist that found it so i i gotcha. got to tend to appreciate that but uh it's it's a big tree and it's that's just the tallest huge.
0: one the tallest tree in um, oregon right now i think
5: I've, I think it's the tallest fir. It's the tallest mm-hmm. fir, yeah. correct? Doug, yeah, fir. Uh, Doug fir, yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: But tallest known, you know. there's, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, there. Think about when we talk about three hundred and twenty-nine feet and actually getting shorter, right? Because the, the the crown is clearly dying back. It, it has probably a um, even above that three hundred and well above the live foliage at this point. There's probably a good forty plus feet of, of just dead. Top. Oh wow! I mean, it's it's declining. The trees in, it's naturally retrenching itself. Um, but think about how many trees there are out there that are in that three hundred ten to three hundred twenty range. And at that point, we're only talking a matter of a few feet, right? So yeah, yeah they they uh, they that it's definitely the that echelon of trees that are three hundred feet plus. There there's quite a few still left. Not in in comparison to what there used to be, but uh, relatively speaking, there there are still quite a few out there in that range.
0: I would say though. While those few feet aren't a lot big difference, in an old growth, to grow those few feet up at 200 and whatever feet, or I should I say 330 feet or whatever, that is a significant amount of time, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. You Definitely. Know. Definitely,
2: yeah. And then Arch- just getting the moisture up into the top of that, like an extra foot like pumping it up an extra foot when you're already 300 feet up in the air like that is just
0: all right i'm gonna rein us in though because we wanted to stay on track here (laughs) oh yeah yeah. we're leaning away from uh, tree id but one of the things they that they say to look for is on the twigs there's like little spots if you look close at a twig you know if you're not sure if it's a spruce or if it's a dug fir, that's one of those characteristics and then the needles also come out in random directions you and know, you, you don't get like, you know, like a grand fir, they'll be all flat or hemlocks, you know. Uh, but these, it just come out in every direction.
2: Yep. And then they've got the, on the underside, they've got the white lines of the stomata on the underside of the the uh, individual needles or leaves, which is very distinctive. You got what about
5: the, the shape of the needle?
2: It's got a rounded blunt tip and then it's you know obviously long and narrow um and they come in, out in individual needles they're not in fascicles like a uh, a
3: pine would be okay
5: and then uh the cones that's a that's a good way to id them
3: so the first thing i would i would think there is of course you know your your true furs, which i think most most people are aware that the douglas fir well i should say most people in the industry are aware that the douglas fir is not a true fir yeah. um so that's a big difference right there so douglas fir cones they hang down right all true furs have upright cones. Uh, Douglas fir cones will open uh, and then release a, a, a winged seed. Whereas a lot of your true furs, um, it, they're a really dense, hard cone. And, and I'm talking heavy, uh, filled with sap. Like as in if somebody threw one at you, it would hurt pretty bad. They're, <laughs> they've got some weight to them. And they're really pitchy. You can you can look at them and, I mean, just that that tight, uh, cone will just exude pitch. If you touch it, it's going to get all over. And really what it just does, uh, is kind of disintegrates in an upright position. And then you still have that, that stem right through the middle of the cone, but it'll actually just disintegrate. And certainly things like wind will help, but also, I mean, it's notorious, um, all sorts of small mammals will go up and actually start to, uh, you know, chew on those cones, destroy the cones, and then just disperse that seed. It's, it's still a winged seed, so it can still travel, uh, via wind, but yeah, they—it's they, a really tight cone on a true fur. Douglas fir are a much smaller cone. They're—they're they're certainly much bigger than something like a hemlock or a redwood. They're probably a a medium a two, to, two to three inch long cone.
0: I think of them as medium sized cones.
3: Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yep. And then of course the little rat tail—the uh, rat tail that that comes out between the uh uh the, the plates of the cone—is is one of the distinguishing very distinctive. Yeah, it looks uh, like a tail uh, and
5: two feet of big, a mouse.
3: Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: That's always a funny one. I remember. When Albie was first telling me that, like, yeah, you always know it's a Doug fir cone because it looks like a rat butt sticking out of it. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And then you see it and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. no, there's the rat butt sticking right out from underneath the cone. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Yep.
5: laughs> um, ID, uh, native range, I guess, where, where are we finding this tree?
3: So Sudosuga uh, menziesii, we're going to find all the way from uh, Alaska into uh, northern Mexico. Yeah, Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, And then when we start to look at um, what a lot of folks don't realize, there's actually six species of pseudosuga in the world, right? And so mostly they're in the northern hemisphere in the United States and Asia. Um, uh, But when we start talking about menzisii specifically, uh, yeah, so Alaska to northern Mexico, and then as far east as, uh, you know, the Rocky Mountains. And
5: then once it's in the Rocky Mountains, the interior... Pseudosuga is Glauca?
3: Glauca? Glauca. Variety Glauca. Correct, yeah. So okay. it's actually uh, Pseudosuga Menzicii Glauca, Okay. which is a, a, variety. a, a, var- a variety, correct. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then the coastal is just Pseudosuga menzisei variety menzisei, right? Uh, correct. Yep. Yep. So Absolutely. True. And the, the furthest, I, sh- I should say, actually the furthest south species are actually uh, Pseudosuga macrocarpa, uh, right. which is a big cone, Doug fir. Uh, they're very hard to tell the difference Except for the cones, of course, um, but that that's one that, that stretches, you know, pretty far into northern Mexico.
5: So does the cone look the same, just much larger? Correct. Yes. Oh, cool.
3: And okay. still, you know, kind of blue green needles. Overall, uh, when we start looking at the the, the different species and, and, and variants, uh, they're smaller too. You know, when you look at the the um, Rocky Mountain Doug fir, uh, the Glauca Doug fir. Mm-hmm that's maybe 150 feet is probably be a bit would be about the biggest you would see even even in our climate so even if you take those trees out of their their native environment and bring them here probably about 150 feet might be the biggest you'd you'd see yeah and they, they are distinctively different
2: from the valley or the the coastal doug fir I, I was just in yellowstone and that's you know they're supremely populated with those that's like the hmm. pretty much the main tree that you'll see over there and they're like you look
3: at them and you can tell it's a doug fir but it's like yeah this is Different oh. dug fur. Yeah. And we do have, um I, I should say, yeah, absolutely. We do have uh Mnzisii Glauca native in Oregon. Mm. So yeah, southern Oregon, uh inland southern Oregon, you'll absolutely find that.
5: Cool. Nice. And then I feel like we can move on to history a bit because you brought up that the Doug fur I think this kind of bleeds into history. The Doug fir is not actually a fur. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a pine, actually. Yeah, it's, pine, it's pine got a, family. It's
2: right? got a, it's got a cone, so it's a pine. Yeah,
5: but it is in the pine family.
2: It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, p- uh,
5: c.a. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And pseudo-suga, uh, that means false hemlock, right?
3: Correct, but it's a it's a weird thing. So pseudo is Latin, which most of your nomenclature, of course, is going to be. But Suga is not a Latin word. That's actually a Japanese word for hemlock. So it's an it's it's an interesting, uh, um, it, it's interesting how the, the, kind of the semantics of how they've put this word together. I should say, uh, the Franken word, the Franken word, it's kind of a Franken, Franken tree.
0: <laughs> well, <clears throat> and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but one thing I heard is all hemlocks kind of the top bows over a little bit. Yep. And that's how you can recognize that the Doug fir is a hemlock is cause the, the topmost point of the Doug fir will just kind of, it's not.
3: No, 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 no. They're very erect. Very, Are they? very straight up. Yep.
0: Okay. Uh, Thanks for correcting me. <laughs> no, worries. Yeah, no worries.
3: I was actually, part of the reason I was thinking about that is that I've noticed some recently, um, you know, you get these trees that are in that like 12 to 15 foot range. And I'm seeing a lot of these in like uh, reforestation type settings, uh, or if they're just in a really good spot in an urban setting, they even a 15 foot tall tree can put on three feet of new growth a year, which is astounding. Wow. I mean, when we start talking about like percentage of height or, or live crown ratio, yeah. however you want to look at that, that's a huge, huge amount of growth. I mean, that's, you could almost watch it grow. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow. three
2: feet.
5: Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's a big push. Yep. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Should we get more into the name? Like, where it came from? Like, where's Doug Fur come from? How did c sure. i come about? Anyone?
3: Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I can I, run with that I, one. Yeah, I, I think. think uh, no, uh, I don't <laughs> want to <laughs> take it over, but. <laughs> no, no, Dude, that's why you're here. Dude. <laughs> yep. Well, so interestingly enough, it was, so it was found in the late 1700s by Archibald Menzies. He was a Scottish, uh, so he was a botanist, but I think his day job was more along the lines of surgeon, doctor. I think uh, botanist was more of a a side note for him, but uh, certainly one of the most world's renowned botanist for sure. Uh, And you see his name on a lot of things. Um, uh, But yeah, so Archibald Menzies was the actual original discoverer of it, but Uh, The common name, Douglas fir, is actually uh, David Douglas. It was the person who really propelled this tree into what it's become today. He actually collected the original seeds. He was really an outstanding explorer of the Northwest. I mean, he had logged over 6,000 miles of back country, wow. just looking for really wow. amazing. I and mean, he was the big tree hunter, the original big tree hunter. 6,000
2: miles back in the day when you didn't have
3: roads. Think about that. And so he, he um, collected a tremendous amount of seed, took those back to, uh, he was a, a, a Scottish uh, botanist, but um, uh, anyway, so he, he takes these back to Europe and now, you know, you flash forward uh, 150 years it's one of the most common, along with things like noble fir, one of the most common uh, reforestation trees that you would find in Europe, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's it's very much like the original assisted migration.
5: Yeah, it's also, I saw mean, so he like transformed the the British timber industry basically by bringing this tree Absolutely. over there. Yeah. Really, I mean, transformed the world in a lot of it, ways. Yeah. Just if you think about
0: how many things are built with Doug fir and how far he spread it, you know that's. Uh, He probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for the impact he had on the world.
2: Yeah. And he died at 35. He wasn't very old when he died. (laughs) In Hawaii.
0: In Hawaii. In Hawaii. Yeah, Yeah. kind of a crazy story. Yeah, Yeah.
2: absolutely. Yeah, he fell into a, he was climbing um, Mount uh, Koa, I think. And he fell into a pit with a bull in it. It killed him. It mauled him in a pit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On a mountain, <laughs> what in a Hawaii. way! To, what a way to go! Yeah, yeah.
5: at thirty-five. At thirty-five. Well, well eight, that was a ritual. Old, 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 old age of <laughs> thirty-five. Right. And, and that, <laughs> was, yeah, which is ninety. Yeah, Yeah, day time.
0: yeah. yeah he was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What <laughs> was he doing climbing mountains at such an old age?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but there was some speci- uh, suspicious circumstances around it, right?
2: Yeah, because because he, so, he had less money in his less suspected money in his pocket than he had originally like gone to the mountain with. So the guy who found his body and like brought him back to the camp or whatever, they thought that he had, you know, set this trap for him and maybe killed him. Uh yeah, yeah. I even checked his wallet. Yeah. You know, I I don't know what, what happened to all yeah. that money. I think <laughs> yeah. the bull got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bulls are bulls need money too, man. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I got there the bull was just sitting there eating money. It was crazy.
2: <laughs> First I mean it was green, so please
0: I don't know. Yeah, that's uh not a way people really die anymore. I wouldn't imagine is falling into a pit with a bowl. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think that was actually a hunting tactic, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but that I think was so. uh, that was it was a, a yeah a trap essentially. Right. Yeah.
4: right.
0: And uh, yeah, I, I saw that like one of the groves of Doug Furs in Hawaii is planted on his grave. So where he was buried, oh, wow. there's big. I mean, it almost feels like the next time I'm in Hawaii, I should go find David Douglas's grave and. Go climb a tree.
2: grove Yeah. Just don't fall into a pit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> avoid <laughs> avoid bull pits. Avoid bull pits.
5: Right on. So Archibald Menzies was also a Scottish explorer, right? Botanist type.
2: And do they have a rivalry? Like, him? were, were they just... Like, I've heard multiple times that they've had a rivalry. Were they just like... Botanists at the same time, so they consider that a rivalry, or was there like some beef there? Like
5: they I, were doing the same kind of stuff, climbing mountain, like total adventure types. Yeah. So maybe, you know, egos got into yeah, yeah. it. So <laughs> I was going to say, you know,
3: when you're traveling to, you know, relatively undiscovered uh, new continents, collecting plants. Traveling six thousand miles, you probably have a pretty big ego. I, I'm just yeah. gonna say, it, maybe not, but they, there's probably some ego stuff involved in that. Well, you're also we, naming, tree, naming trees after yeah, yourself. Yeah, so. yeah. When we're discovering new worlds, essentially, there's there's probably a little bit of ego. Yeah, he behind was, that,
5: he was a tree guy. Yeah. I, have you met a tree guy that doesn't have at
0: least a little <laughs> ego? Come on. Exactly.
5: I stumbled on a, a funny fact of Archibald Menzies. Um, so he was in Chile exploring, and he. Went to dinner with some royalty or whatever, you know, some, a fancy dinner and they served the seeds of the monkey puzzle tree as a dessert. And he like took a couple and (laughs) stuck them in his pocket, propagated them on the way back to Europe and had like five successful trees and basically brought the monkey puzzle to Europe through a dessert that he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and Arborists in Europe have hated him ever since. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck were yeah. you thinking? Yeah. yeah. So thank him.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> All right. So uh Well did you got any did we, f- well, did we talk about that's where Men's ECI came from, I guess. Yeah, I, I
0: don't know if we hit on that one. I can't remember because we talked about this quite a bit before we were recording, so I can't remember
3: what we went over. We, we didn't save it for the podcast. The name yeah. has changed quite a bit, as okay. as names do <clears throat> over the years. I mean, we see that a lot, and especially with um, uh, the advent of, of DNA research, we're finding trees were more or less related than we thought they were in the past. So it's it's kind of moved. We've actually created new genuses. Things have moved from one species to another. So you know the the whole classification system has changed, uh, just like it has throughout time. But yeah, so we've had it. Listed as Pinus taxifolia. Uh, of course, taxifolia. I think of uh, taxis, Of course, yeah. right. U U shaped leaves, right? Okay. Yeah, uh, and we'll
0: we'll have to do one of these episodes on the U tree because that uh, has quite the story behind it. Pacific
3: but, yeah. U is is a yeah. Yeah, uh, an amazing. Tree that's another one. one for another podcast. Stay tuned, hey, subscribe, yeah. like, five stars. <laughs> it's uh, gone under the name Abies de Glossiae, which is, you know, of course, Abies would be a, any of the true furs, which it's not. Uh, Pseudo-Suga de Glossiae, which is actually one that I really like. Uh, Pseudo-Suga taxifolia and Pseudosuga, of course, Menziesiae, uh was uh, added in 1950. And that that's the one that, of course, that stuck. Okay, nice.
5: And that was just as a tribute to Menzies? Yes, exactly. I think they,
3: it was a, you know, a good way to uh, honor both of those uh, folks work, you know, so we, of course, we have common name and Latin name, and they they both got uh, a stake in that. And those are, those are widely used terms. So I feel like that was very fitting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, man, that is, what a cool thing to have a tree like the Doug fir named after you. You know, that talk about going down in the history <laughs> books, but I guess your son has that. So, so
3: it, it, it goes both ways, you know, well. I mean, it's, uh, uh, here we have this, this amazing botanist and this amazing, uh, tree that was named after him. Uh, and then because of, uh, the impact that this tree has had on me in, in my life, I mean, it's really what. One of the things that that brought me to the Pacific Northwest, I actually named my son after the tree, so it's pretty pretty awesome to have that uh reciprocated so but it is a nod to both the uh the amazing tree and the, the botanist himself so' oh, yeah. that's awesome i you know I read that uh gentleman's life story and it it's pretty amazing when you think about that i mean i'm I'm a backcountry person i'm a big tree hunter, and i just uh i couldn't think of a a, a better slice of time to actually have lived in and and to have that task ahead of you is just basically go explore the Pacific Northwest bring back seeds, uh, you know, just, just literally classify all these plants. I mean, I, that sounds like the most charmed life. I could ever imagine. Yeah. Min- minus the dying at 35 from a bowling the- <laughs> up. Hey, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a <laughs> occupational hazard. It's not about the years, it's about the miles. <laughs> there
2: yeah. you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah, like
5: we said, that was old. <laughs> that was yeah. old, right. And <laughs> that, lived a long full life. Honestly, that was
0: probably just a bad 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then it was all over. Yeah, yeah. It was
2: yeah, better than that, better that than dying like syphilis or the plague or something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: Um, how about its use as
3: oh, lumber? How
5: did you guys look into that at all?
3: Chances they, are, if you're going to Lowe's or Home Depot yeah. or Jerry's or, or wherever you uh, shop for lumber, you're you're probably buying Doug Fir. If you're buying uh, framing material, for sure. Yeah, thirty five percent of the wood
2: that is exported from the United States is Doug Fir. Like it is, wow. it is a huge, like for building for everything. Like you can get it in long lengths, you can get it in short lengths. It it'll do fucking pretty much anything.
5: Oh, here this is kind of interesting. I was uh, I'm from North Dakota, and my dad was building a garage and I went back not too long, you know, a couple years ago. Anyway, I go back and kind of looking at the lumber and it was like from White City, Oregon, which was mm-hmm. like, I lived in Ashland. It was like right down the road. I thought that was, that was interesting. Just all coming from here.
3: Mm-hmm. They're finding a lot of really beautiful, uh, clear dug fir timber when they're, you know, reclaiming or as, as gentrification happens, you know, they're, they're going into these old homes and they're finding that, uh, you know, like some of the floor joists might be just clear dug fur because at the time that was cheap right and that that wood is incredibly valuable and incredibly expensive now and they're finding it all over the world i mean even places like south america uh you know some of these really really wealthy homes that were built uh you know probably in the early 1900s were, were actually built with with just beautiful clear dug fur and, and so as they're able to reclaim that stuff it it's unbelievably valuable yeah and yeah. probably like
5: big beams of it right exactly. that was more of the style yep. Yeah. yeah yep because
3: it was the cheapest It was the cheapest thing out there, you know, and like today, that was the cheap building material. So they could, and it was just so abundant.
0: I've heard that Tokyo Bay is filled with old growth logs that were shipped over there and then they just sank them in the bay because they recognize, like, hey, this is going to be super valuable in a while. So we're just going to ship it here and then chain it down to the bottom of the bay. It's going to, you know, keep really good. And then we're going to have all this premium old growth. You know, probably redwood and fir and all kinds of stuff down
2: there. Mm. Is it still salvageable or is it, like, rotted beyond? No, it's preserved. No, if it's 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 underwater, it preserves it. That's nuts. Yeah, Yeah. so under
0: there, you know, you see these, like, shows on the Discovery Channel and whatnot about, you know, people, like, going down into the rivers in the Pacific Northwest to pull up beams or even just, like, they'll harvest a stump Mm. because just a stump has enough lumber in it to be crazy valuable. Right. Mm. I mean, in that bay, there's just probably thousands of old growth
3: logs. I, I don't quote me on this, but I've heard that if you looked at all of the old growth that's on the bottom of the Great Lakes, basically the stuff that, that came out, you know, when they were floating big uh, log decks down the river, uh, what basically dropped off or what might have just come off of ships and storms, they, they say that there's probably more old growth on the floor of the great lakes and there is left standing oh wow isn't that crazy <sighs> that yeah. doesn't surprise me well at all. And don't quote with, me. I, 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 I don't have the, the the exact articles to back that up with so don't quote me but that that's something that i've heard and it's it's i mean people make a living of literally just pulling uh logs off the great lakes floors that, uh, uh, yeah uh, with how how much
0: wood traveled across that lake and how little old growth is standing i'm i'm really not that surprised yeah, no, by that, you know it
2: Yeah. There's like a hundred logs down there and it's more old growth than we have in the entire world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. So my great grandfather, uh, Axel Osling came over from Norway, got off of the, you know, got off the boat in New York when he was 17, didn't speak any English, was looking for work, was just this big Viking looking dude. And, uh, Got on a train and they shipped him up to Washington into the Pacific Northwest, and then he spent the next five years cut logging basically those big old trees. So those old pictures, you know, he was one of those guys. He learned how to speak English on a, at a man camp. Oh man, you know what kind of English is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah well, very very expletive. Film. Yeah, I think we know. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's always every now and then I'll you know when I'm especially like removing a big tree or something, it's like man. This was a little tree for Axel, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> and that's who kind of like you know you with
5: more modern tools like yeah, wave, well yeah
0: that it's crazy because what he ended up doing is by the end of his time there he was no longer swinging axe and he he learned how to operate the uh, steam in, uh, the steam saws so they had the big crosscut saws that had steam engines so they basically strapped this steam engine and a crosscut saw onto the big tree and then fire up the steam engine. And that back, whoo, whoo,
4: whoo, oh, man. Whoo, wow.
0: you know, and so the, the thing would like rotate, I think I, it's what I pictured. So maybe this is just like a little kid's imagination, you know, from hearing the story, but it kind of would rotate around the tree as the saw kind of cut on it, you know, oh. because, because the trees were so big and they didn't have chainsaws. It was more energy efficient to actually like strap and build a little steam engine with a blade on it on the tree than actually just swing a saw or just, you know, you think about a tree, anybody who's used a cross cross cut saw knows that is hard work. Oh yeah. You know? So
5: is that a misery whip or is that something
0: different? No, No, that's that's a misery whip. whip. That's a misery whip. Yeah. Yeah. The aptly named. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Um, so a little, a little piece of history that I, I saw, um, in Lynn Valley, there was the tallest tree. Well, maybe not the tallest tree. The most reliable tallest tree ever recorded was 415 feet measured on the ground. Now, I was talking to Corey about this earlier today, and he found something about something that was even bigger. And I, I read a, a little splurge around not as much because what I when I started reading it, it was saying it's not very reliable. Uh, but yeah. 414, anybody who's climbed over 300 feet knows like the mind hundred trip. 100 feet, yeah. Another 100 <laughs> feet on top of that. <laughs> Holy crazy. smokes.
2: So the less documented one, the nuke sack giant, uh, was actually in Washington. So what'd you say? Nuke sack. Nuke. Sack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, nuke. Get nuke. your nuke. mind out of the gutter there, <laughs> Slinton Come on. Nuke. Let's <laughs> <Not. laughs> <Newt. laughs> hear the nutsack sack <laughs> <laughs> The nutsack. Uh, so this one was 465 feet. When and it dropped, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, and thirty-four feet in circumference, not diameter, circumference.
5: Thirty-four feet.
2: Thirty-four feet. It produced more than ninety-six thousand board feet of lumber. But it's it was this happened in uh, eighteen ninety-seven, so six years before the Lynn, uh Lynn Valley tree, because yeah. that was in nineteen oh two. Nineteen oh two. Okay, five years. Um, but. This one, I guess it was less documented. They had less... They put a tape to it, but, you know, loggers.
0: But still, how how, how tall? Four. 465. So yeah, let, let's say they're off by 20 feet. And when measuring something... I mean, you're measuring something pretty big. So I could see enough wave in that thing to be off 20. You have to go still, around
2: a branch and whatever.
0: Yeah, still being off 20 feet, man. That is a big fucking tree. Yeah, You know, and then whole... And you think about... You know, a 100-foot fir tree, that, that's a pretty big tree, but that's not a big tree yet, not a big fir tree yet, you know. And then you think about a 200-foot tree, and that's when you're just starting on becoming a big fir tree.
2: But it's two of those. Yeah, and, stacked then, on top
0: of each and each. then you get 300 feet, and you're like, wow, this is an old-growth tree. You know, 200, you can kind of be touching. You're not really old-growth yet, but you're, like, touching a big tree. 300, you're like, this is probably old-growth You know, or at least it's second growth, but it's fucking huge second growth, right? I can't imagine another 100 feet. Like, what are the characteristic changes that, you know, because from 100 to 2 to 3, there's, like, huge characteristic changes in each one of those 100-foot sections. What the hell is the difference when you see a 450-foot fucking fir tree?
2: Did it just have reiterations that were, like, 150 feet tall? Oh, yeah. Probably.
0: It could have had reiterations that were 200 feet tall. (sighs) It and could I have even had even fucking all growth reiteration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Kind of yeah.
5: makes me wonder, like, what, what, like, sort of ecosystem was up at 400 feet? Like, yeah. did it, it changed. That's another 100 feet in the air. Like,
2: well, it's dead now. Yeah, so exactly. Like, like, <laughs> yeah.
5: That's where Fern Gully was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pixies
2: Quite. and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, and imagine that. So, like, um, thinking about the modern dug Fir with the, tr- uh, the trevole. Like, th- there will be entire generations in a tree that never leave that individual tree. Like, what What was destroyed when that tree, that 415, 465-foot oh, yeah. tree fell to the ground? Like, what, what was lost yeah. when that happened?
0: There there could have been a, a little rodent or something that had been up there for, you know, like, a thousand years of life cycles. had like been in that tree evolved mm-hmm. in that yeah. An <laughs> entire rodent civilization was at the top of this tree, <laughs> you know, something crazy like that. And is not even like out of the realm of possibility. This isn't like, I'm going to stretch and try to picture like it is. It is totally possible, hmm. Hmm. you know, like crazy. Yeah, I
3: saw and-
5: the brumet for 36 foot circumference.
3: It's a big tree. Yeah, It's a big tree. Yeah. yeah it's a monster. So put, to put it's, that in... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and it's hidden deep. Oh, it's yeah. It's deep in the, the uh, Coquille drainage. That's a, that's a really remote... That's probably some of the most remote coastal forest left, you know, outside of, like, say, Northern California. But when you look at Oregon and Washington, that that's some pretty remote area down in there. Uh, and it's just tucked. It's, it's actually really hard to find. There are uh, trails
5: to it, or did you kind of bushwhack your... The,
3: well, so there's a, the, you know, the the trail itself is actually fairly short. It's probably less than two miles, let's say, but just the network of roads to get back in there. Oh, and yeah, yeah. What we What happened was we kept running into all these roads that were decommissioned. Mm. Uh, so we started to actually come up from the east fork of the Coquille heading north, and we really just got completely stymied and then had to take this long kind of uh, ridiculous way to get to it, which actually set us back almost two hours. Uh, yeah, when we went to visit that tree, it was pretty... Uh, Pretty amazing how tucked back in there it was, mm. Mm.
0: hence it still being there. Exactly, <laughs>
3: exactly. And the whole grove, the the whole trail system. I mean that that tree may be the tallest, but it's not even close to the nicest. When we talk about st- uh, structure or architecture, it's not even close to the nicest tree in that grove. Uh, it just happens to be the tallest. Mm. So, is there a lot in that grove, or are there? There's probably fifteen to twenty in that grove. Oh, they just will absolutely blow your mind. Ugh. Wow, wow! Make a trip, field yep. trip. Yep,
2: <laughs> field trip. <laughs> yeah.
0: Tree thinking hangout. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and so to put that height into perspective, it's one of the tallest trees ever recorded, like any oh, kind, wow. right? So the only one that beats it is the Australian mountain ash, the eucalyptus uh, Reg- regnans, um, which clocks in at uh, another 50 feet tall or something like that. So I think that's close to like you know, 450, 465 or something like that. But tallest tree ever recorded. Like in human history, as a Doug fir, dug or second fir. tallest, wow. or, you know, close to it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: But it just shows you. I mean, when people first started logging, and that's when all the big dogs were cut down, right? They weren't measuring every tree. No. no, you know, they were just cutting them up, getting them, getting them on a river, and start shipping them down to civilization. Right, was their plan? You know, so the uh, who knows what?
2: Who knows what came down? Right, and and thinking. Back, you know before before white man or before the indigenous people even came to the Americas you know before they in introduced fires and you know the disturbances that admittedly were a lot more minimal than we the Europeans brought with us
0: that were actually beneficial yeah they were actually beneficial
2: <laughs> to the ecosystem hey crazy thought but you know before those disturbances like what what was out there like what was what was kicking around like millions of years before white man even
3: showed up or humans even showed up right? Just nothing but forest, you know, to just grow. I mean, with no no interruptions, really. I mean, you'd have things, of course, natural occurrences, earthquakes, uh, forest fires, those sorts of things. But really, yeah, yeah, no disturbance. Um, It's Really, the sky's the limit. I mean, it it gets to the point of really, you know, you have – tree can only translocate water so high, right? We have kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. So then beyond that, it just it just becomes uh, the environmental conditions that are around it. You know, I'm, I'm envisioning these 400 plus foot tall trees are probably somewhere, you know, near the 45th parale- parallel or just north of that, you know, up in some some valley or some ravine, uh, you know, where the roots are down in the uh, creek bed or, or just down at the bottom of the drainage, and they've got really good protection, you know, I, that, that I just have this vision of that 415 foot tree up. Even up in BC somewhere just in this really kind of foggy misty ravine yeah. uh, that, that is not uh, encumbered by high winds, uh, not encumbered by drought, nothing like that I mean, just absolutely able to 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 reach its full potential I mean at that point at 400 uh, feet in the air, you know it's taking in water from from uh, through the stomata yeah it's right. it's not pushing it that far uh, all the way from the roots
0: well, and so what you're describing are the conditions that are necessary. Exactly. Not, not optimal, but necessary for a tree to get that big. You have to have the protection from the wind, so you need to be in a valley. Plus, that's like what ex- what you're saying, where the water's kind of running down to it. So, you know, the amount of moisture a uh, tree like that requires, I mean, I, I didn't look it up, but it I'm sure it's just a phenomenal amount of liquid that that tree is, cons- you know, consuming on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. And you'll see cool videos of fog moving into old growth forests, and that's literally how they're feeding. Yep, you yep. know. So I I it's think that's cool. a great point in in talking about big old firs or really big old trees of any kind is that fog that pushes in and feeds them. I wonder how that works with the eucalyptus being in the northwest. You know, just being around the firs, you kind of learn a lot about them because we work on them and we climb them, and you know, they're what's in our backyard. I don't know much about the big old eucalyptus, so...
2: I have to imagine that... I mean, we'll co- well, we'll probably cover it in a, a future episode, yeah. but I have to imagine that they just grow so goddamn fast that it doesn't really matter. Then they just mm. fall apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Man, crazy. Well, if you're uh, down under and you want to send us an email or reach out on uh, Instagram or something, please tell us about those because we want to do an episode about it and we'd love some help from some locals to do that.
5: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: um. Well, we're, we're talking about this big, amazing tree, you know, that it just survived through so much and has, has made it, uh, these giants, like magnificent specimens. What are the things that can harm it? Like what, what do these things have to watch out for? What are, what are some of the common problems? Um, you know, the right now, we see a bunch of fur die back in the forests around us, in the valley, and in the hills around the valley. You know, and there's the uh, there's the beetle, the fur beetles. There's a bunch of stuff. But what do you guys think of when you when you hear about uh, problems for these dug furs? Before we get too far in that, do you mind if we take a break, a quick break? No, I think this is about perfect time. So. Okay, yeah, cool. Going to take a quick beer break, and then we'll be back to it.
2: Break, 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 break 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 break
0: all right (laughs) right. we're back we got our beer and uh yeah i just want to say thank you to you guys this is awesome this is the first episode like we were saying that we've done like this and it is an absolute blast uh tree id is probably one of the weaknesses in my game so thank you guys for coming and educating me because this is
5: absolutely phenomenal this is great information yeah, it's cool. It's given me a chance to educate myself, you know. It's forcing me to do it, which is great. <laughs> I, I love the climbing and rigging stuff, and I definitely lack on the, you know, <laughs> the biology, ID, all that sorts of stuff. So yeah. this is great. It's great. Um,
0: And probably one of the places where that knowledge crosses over the best for climbers is understanding the defects, how how these things attack the trees, um you know what are what are some of the problems i know in the pacific northwest here we're seeing a lot of dead firs in the woods you know there's a lot of drought stress and you know, these things are going to be what they're going to be when you have a drought mm-hmm. you know any tree will have a problem but what happens when a tree is stressed with a drought like i think we're seeing just about everywhere in the world matter of fact if you're not having uh drought issues uh send us a message i want to know where it is so i can go, go join you there <laughs> yeah, no um you know when the trees get stressed you get these different uh different pathogens different insects and pests that start attacking the trees so what are what are some of the ones that we're going to see attacking firs
3: i think of laminated you know in a forest setting something like laminated root rot yeah uh soil borne uh uh, wood decay fungi that is just going to spread through trees and you get that Um, it, it's literally going to spread through root grafts, right? Yeah. So a lot of times you'll see folks if they, once it's identified, people will take a, 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 a much bigger swath of trees than actually what they see it as affected just in order to try to prevent that spread. Mm-hmm. And
0: so does red ring rot fall in that? Is that a root
5: rot that travels up into the tree? Yeah, I think you see the red ring in, I don't remember if it was laminated root rot or I don't think it was armillaria. It might be laminated root rot, so maybe that's the same thing. That,
0: that's the one where you see the little conks, right, that have like the little yep. brown shelf cl- yep. conchs. That's,
5: that's
2: red ring rot. Uh, uh, Philenius uh, pinei. Thank you.
0: That's one that even before the drought was hitting trees around here, that was one you had to watch out for. And some of the scariest fir trees I've ever climbed were just infested with the red ring rot. Be- and what makes them so scary is when you're up, you know, you climbing up them, and I'd always tie into other trees before i go up these things, but they'd start moving in weird ways. Mm. And uh, I think it, it's because what it does is it rots out, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, the biology is not my strongest, is it uh, the space in between the rings that like, travels up and down the conifers? I think it feeds on that. And so it allows the tree to bend in these weird ways. You'll look under you, and it'll be bending in like three or four different directions all at the same time, and it just feels horrible.
2: Oh man, yeah. So um, that one, the red ring root rot, it has actually spread by the wind, and it'll land on stub cuts, and then it'll uh, ger- stub cuts, wounds, uh, twigs, whatever, and then it'll germinate from there. So it's not it's not a okay uh, a soil borne like the okay root rot.
0: But yeah, well, and that that'll make sense because you'll see a lot of the conks on the right. It's, it's on the decay, and I didn't know if it traveled up and then found those those uh, stubs to come out on or what the deal was. But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
2: because you don't usually see that associated. Like it's not you usually see those at, you know starting at about ten feet and then all the way up the trunk. Right. It's not. It's you don't usually see anything
3: around the base. It's, not
0: a, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a butt rot. Yeah, it's not a butt rot. Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope.
3: One of the things that, um, <clears throat> not necessarily in, in terms of disease necessarily or pest, but uh, one of the things that we're seeing here recently, of course, is the leaf scorch, the needle scorch from yeah. the uh, heat dome that just happened recently. And, you know, we're obviously uh, broadcasting here from Eugene, Oregon, and uh, I live along Highway 58, uh, which is uh, travels southeast out of uh, Eugene, uh, goes through another town called Oak Ridge. And when we look at this stretch between Eugene and Oak Ridge, after that recent, you know, hundred and... I believe it was 111 degrees in Eugene. I I, I don't know the exact—it it was a record-setting day in Eugene. Uh, all of these trees on the, the south and west faces got completely scorched. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely scorched. And that that's terrifying to me because I'm—and I've seen it, uh, You know, as I mentioned, on Highway 58. Uh, and then I was up in the, the coast range. I was really shocked to see it there because I think of that as being a much cooler, you know, maritime climate. Uh, but that, that heat still affected them even, even up in Astoria. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. And I'm seeing, like, anywhere from, like, on the low end, 25% of the foliage is burned. And in some cases, in a lot of cases, up to half the foliage is burned. And I've seen a couple trees that just completely died in that heat, period. I mean, just dead.
5: Mostly just seeing, like, the new growth that got
3: scorched. It's scary because it's the new growth and the previous year's growth. Yeah. Basically just... you know, again, there's a whole spectrum of, of severity, but, uh, yeah, everything from new growth to a few year old growth, uh, needles that just have hung on for a few years and haven't dropped yet. Yeah. Um, and seeing it like in mass, I mean, I'm talking whole hillsides of damage, uh, you know, and of course we're into fire season. So the, you know, of course the the ladder fuel effect that that creates now with these, you know, when you have half of a tree just completely scorched, oh. it's terrifying. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I remember
5: seeing it and thinking, I mean, usually I was seeing it right along the pavement, but I did a job up in Salem not too long ago and it, it was just out in a field. Yep. Like same kind of thing going on. Yeah. yeah Man, that's yeah. so scary. bad.
3: <laughs> that, that particular stretch that I'd mentioned, uh, you know, between Eugene and Oak Ridge, one, once you pass uh, the, the Lowell and Dexter area, so the kind of the maybe – uh 25 mile to 50 mile point there on on highway 58 um that's in Black Canyon which is normally very shaded um it's it is situated uh kind of east to west it's a east to east to west running canyon but it it's just the the sides are so steep that there's not a lot of sunlight that gets down in there i mean it certainly gets in there when the sun is is overhead but i i think that that was part of the problem too those trees are are used to a fairly moderated climate, a very mild climate that doesn't change a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Lots of shade starting at about, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon in the summer times. And I think that heat just pushed them over the edge. They were yeah. uh almost like you could say tender or something. Like they just they're not used to that. And that you ex- get the river heat. that flows
0: right through there, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Little foot land runs right through there. Yeah. I haven't been up there recently. How's that flowing?
3: Uh good. I mean there's there's Is plenty it? of water in it. Okay. Yeah. I mean it's it, good it, enough. You know, we had a, a decent yeah. snowpack last year and um uh, but yeah, it's, it's scary to see like, what's that, you know, I mean, here we had, we had that heat dome a few weeks ago. And now, we're, now we're back up to 100 plus degree weather uh, as we're speaking right now. And like how, you know, it's it's a matter of like frequency and dose, like how, uh, how hot does it get? And how often does it get that hot? And what kind of effects are we going to see from that? That's, that's really troubling i gotta be honest mm-hmm. yeah yeah because
2: because well, we do see the 100 degree like this is pretty typical in august we see 100 degree you know we'll have a week of like 100 degree but like you're saying that dose we don't see 100 degrees in june like that just ever It doesn't happen no and, but like that compounds and then we're we're probably not out of the 100 we'll probably have another one in september or beginning of september probably we usually have another heat wave when, before
0: when was it that it got up to like 116
2: uh june middle of june like 13th the
3: 20th somewhere in there yeah yeah
0: that's yep. crazy for we it to get it, that yeah. hot that early in yeah. eugene, oregon. In eugene <laughs> yeah. Oregon.
3: Yeah. It, oregon exactly just the willamette valley yeah, yeah. it's yeah. crazy
0: and so one of the things that when there's stressed trees you get the the doug fir beetle what what did you guys find about the doug
2: fir beetle it kills doug firs. <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> i found the flathead fur borer is that the one that's kind of the main the main culprit around here. you guys know?
3: Good question. I have to be honest. I'm not not well-versed on borers.
5: Yeah. I'll, I'll just read off my notes, and we can just yeah, let's go, sure. go yeah, that, after it. So the flathead fur borer is a wood-boring beetle that behaves like a bark beetle, so it feeds under the bark instead of excavating galleries in the wood. Uh, so typically, wood-boring beetles aid in decomposition of wood and tend to be secondary. They don't kill trees on their own, but the flathead fir borer can act like a primary insect and kill healthy trees.
2: Which sounds like it's
5: that. Yeah. That's the one. And, that and so that's like what I was uh, picking up on it also is that, you
0: know, a lot of these things when the, when the trees aren't stressed, you, you're going to have them in the forest and they're just going to be working on the kind of trees that are already have something else wrong and kind of cleaning out the weak stock. Mm-hmm. But then when you are in a situation like right now where all the trees are stressed, you get these huge population spikes, and that's what ends up devastating forests. Is
2: There's a lot of food availability, so they're re- going to reproduce faster. These individual, tre- Each one of these individual trees isn't put on the shell wall that they're used to every year, and so they're going after that new growth, and that's kind of where they infiltrate the tree and then just kind of strip it from the top down.
0: Exactly, and what happens is when you get that spike in a population, uh, you end up with more beetles than there is food to, for the beetles to eat, And so then they start going after healthy trees because there's just so many of them that they got to eat on something. And that's where, that's why all of a sudden it becomes a catastrophe because, you know, it goes from, you know, this kind of an ecosystem where they're serving their role to this just disaster situation where it's just a feeding frenzy for them.
5: Yeah. And they're probably, I mean, their life cycle is like a year can be more. I imagine it's in warmer climates that they're, lasting longer you know they're not dying off in the winter or whatever so yeah. larger populations just from that too totally yeah. in climate
3: and we'll, we'll see a lot more of that with a warming climate that's yeah. the other thing yeah it's 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 not it's just starting
2: yeah well, and
3: you know i think of like comorbidities right we talk about that a lot with covid right but that that applies to, to trees as well and we think about how many times you've been asked well what killed the tree well a lot of times it's it's more than one thing it's 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 a, it's a, it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a, it's a yeah. compound of, of multiple circumstances right so you may maybe you have drought right which might stress a tree out Uh, now it's more susceptible to all sorts of different uh, disease insects uh, and it could be just a a myriad of things that that just you know death by a thousand cuts just chips away at the overall health of the tree everything Um, i
5: was looking at for prevention prevention is like promote tree vigor like right make this thing healthy as possible give it plenty of
0: water um, well, nutrients. it's kind of interesting on that note and it's not a Doug fir thing, but I had that, uh, that birch tree in my yard for the longest time. Oh yeah. And it was, I planted it right next to the hedge and it, I, it was when I had no other trees I had just moved in and someone was removing this birch cause it was, it had bronze birch bore in it. It was right in the middle of a hot yard and i had just moved in here like a week ago you know a week earlier and i was like i need a tree or something so i was, it was small enough so i was like i'm just going to take this and i'm putting it in the ground cuz at least i'll have something in the ground and i put it in this really wet spot hoping that it would just start absorbing that water and sure enough it was in the shade of the hedge and it had tons of groundwater there and all of a sudden all it started healing all the all the old damage and there was i lost all signs of bronze birch borer in it probably for about five or six years until it got tall enough. So it was over the hedge and all of a sudden it was in the direct sunlight again and it got stressed again. And then the bronze birch borers came back and it was just like, Oh, that's how you battle these things is you just give it a environment where it's really healthy and the tree can do it on its own. If you just give it a chance, you know, like, you know, and it makes so much sense. If, if any of us are hurt from something, you know, what do you do? You get comfortable, you know, you, you lay down, you, if you have a bum ankle, you quit running on your ankle, you know, but the trees can't do that right now. And that's why it's just running out of control. Right.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I was looking it up a little bit and, uh, the Douglas fir beetle is different than the flathead boar, but very similar, um, you know, pathology, very similar systems, you know, they're going after drought stress trees, um, ones that have root rot disease overcrowding like all of these contribute to it but again drought is the big thing so you know they're they're very much very much the same as as uh that insect you know very mm-hmm. same very similar like pathology and
5: um, i if their life cycles are similar because i think that's important to know i wrote some of that stuff down because you'd get like people worried maybe if you and, and it's a good question if uh a fur was killed by a beetle you chip it they want the wood chips on their property, but they're concerned about the beetle being in there still or whatever, you know, right, get right. all the wood out of here. Yeah, right. yeah. So I think like knowing the life cycle is kind of important. And uh, it says they live up to one year. It can be longer. We kind of touched on that. So they emerge in spring. This is the flathead fur borer. Maybe the one you're talking about is a little different, but they emerge in the spring and feed on the needles. Then they'll move on to their host tree. And, th- and there they lay eggs in bark crevices. And as soon as they, the larvae hatch, they immediately start boring into the bark. And once they're in there, they feed on cambium and phloem, but don't really enter the sapwood. And late summer is when they move to the outer bark, and they overwinter win- in little pupil cells. Then they emerge as adults the following spring, and so on, and so on
2: gotcha the only difference with the the Fur beetle is they'll actually lay their eggs inside the gallery inside. so they'll, they'll burrow into the tree lay the eggs as they're you know uh, girdling the tree from the top uh, top down lay okay. the eggs and then they'll they, those eggs will then continue the galleries um, with their life cycle kind of thing but, okay you know again very similar morph- morphology yeah, to yeah. yours
5: so typically with the fur, be- fur beetle you're talking about what what was it called?
2: Uh, Douglas fir beetle. Okay. And I'm not even gonna try it in the Latin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, no. I want to hear it. What is it? Uh,
2: dendro den, dendroctonus pseudo suge. Yep. Oh, good job! You got it that perfect. Yeah, that was easy. Basically, yeah,
5: yeah, <laughs> uh, Typically, you see in the tops die first, like like you do with the bronze birch borer. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as as you know, as they they girdle the tree. Um, they're, as I're hurting the tree, you know, the tree's gonna stop pushing the nutrients further up, or they'll literally um they'll um mechanically destroy the ability for the tree to move nutrients up to the top. Okay.
0: Cool. What else? I don't know. What <laughs> what other uh problems do these things well, face? Thing. Well, let,
2: let's talk about the biggest uh problem, chainsaw blight. <laughs> <laughs> I, think chainsaw that, <laughs> blight. <laughs> I think that might be the single biggest killer of Doug fir. No, no exaggeration, like all right. Yeah. So,
0: what what are the worst excuses you guys have heard people wanting a, a beautiful fur removed for?
2: Pruning to uh, allow clearance for a solar panel.
0: Well, okay. So, I understand that a one r- removal for yeah. a solar panel because at least they're trying to upgrade to a solar panel. You yes, know,
2: but you're killing a tree to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> no, so there's totally. just something about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, that's a tough one. You know, and so. The other weekend, I did a dug fur job that hurt to do in some ways because it was a topped fur. Now, I did not top this fur, right? It was an, an interesting one because it's, it's like everything you're against.
2: Andrew definitely topped this fur. But the crime has already <laughs> been committed,
0: right? It, no, it, it was a somebody that I know in town who uh, doesn't work tree work anymore, but I remember him from when I first started, and uh, yeah...
2: little little cowboy with the. it i was it it was a bummer
0: because they had this beautiful property and they were talking about this amazing oak and you could see where the oak was there's still this giant stump and you could see the how the other trees around it oh no you know and he's like oh yeah so and so just remove you know a couple years ago after the ice storm removed the tree and he told me how dangerous it was and how lucky i was it didn't come down on my house and so I, it was so kind of him to come and remove that tree, and it was just like you,
4: motherfucker.
0: <laughs> oh, it's, by uh, the way, if you are selling beautiful tree removals out of fear, fuck you. Yeah,
3: I <laughs> yeah,
2: am right, no. just gonna say yeah. that right now.
0: I'll second
3: that. Yeah, yeah
2: like you, you, can, you can talk the talk. Like it's for, to feed my family. If I don't do it, somebody else is gonna like. Yeah. No, yeah, no. yeah,
0: and and you know what? Reach out. Let's have a conversation. If that's seriously something that you do like I'm not going to just say fuck you cuz cause, cause I want to understand it. You know, I've heard I've talked had many conversations and call in we I will have you on the show and we can talk about it. Like because that is one of my pet peeves, there is always another way. And sometimes yep. uh, like I said earlier in the show, I've removed some beautiful trees and so if you sell me if you tell me the right story and I'm I'm on the same page as you or not even a hundred percent on the same page, but enough to say this is your tree. You are a hundred percent sold. You know, this is this is where we're going, you know, we can have that conversation. But if you're the person that's selling the fear, if you're around the corner from my house, there's this big, beautiful maple, and we removed a tree in the backyard. As a matter of fact, I think at least three of us were on that removal. And they were telling us about how uh, a a local arborist. Uh, Eric knows who I'm talking about. He's a guy that has a heart attack every night because of all the <laughs> debt he's into. I'm not gonna say any names. Yep. But uh, when these people first moved in, he came out and was like, "Oh, this is a dangerous tree. It's got to go." And it's a big leaf maple. I'll point it out to you. you. We can see it from when we walk out this door. And he told, he's like, "Yep, it's got to go. It's gonna be five grand." <sighs> oh my god, I am so glad that they were smart enough to keep it. On the Fourth yep. of July, I was over at their place, and we were in the driveway, and everyone's hanging out, sitting out. You know, we're doing the social distance thing, and we're all sitting out in the in the driveway, and we're all in the shade of that tree. And I was just sitting, thinking that motherfucker wanted yep. to cut this yeah. tree down so it he is, could get five thousand yeah. dollars. And you they have got
3: some serious Jippo yeah. tree <sighs> services here in town. <sighs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it, and, it, and it's when, so frustrating when you really break it down.
2: So, okay, you get five grand for that tree one time removal and then you get you know whatever else for the stump grind that's it like that that's your paycheck it's done it's not going to pay you anymore right if you come out and you prune that tree every 3 to 5 years 1200 1500 whatever yeah it's a big tree it's a big tree like you are making a you're serving the property owner better because they have a big beautiful tree there that's not going to fall apart and fall on their house right no, you're you're addressing we're beyond
0: the- property owner it's the whole fucking neighborhood it's yeah. the city we need those trees to cool the city i mean we could talk about heat island effect and that might be a whole nother episode in and of itself because i I we're know people we're here in 100 degree weather right now yeah yeah exactly and that tree is over this street you know so it's a prime candidate you know but uh anyways we don't we don't need to go down that road right now <laughs> we digress yeah this is Doug it's not big maples yeah it if you want to have that conversation with me. Give me a call if you sell tree work out of fear. <laughs> I'm gonna I would s- love to have a good conversation, and I'm not, we, I'm not here to beat up. I want to understand that way we can figure out how to help other people find better ways to sell tree work because there are much better ways to sell tree work. I, I know people that have been, what they do is sell tree work in a positive, non-fear way for the last 30 years, and I will have them on the show, and we will talk about different ways where we can do it, and we will up your game on how to sell tree work. So, yep. give you know, if you need it, give us a call. We will have that conversation. The
3: big difference between perceived risk and actual risk. Yeah. And being able to parse those two out is, is really important when you're in this game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
5: And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do the common problems segment. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie. <laughs> this heat's got Real him so fired. <laughs> he's, he's ready to go, man. He's God. ready to fight. He didn't even took need the whiskey
0: right now. Let's go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he took his shirt out. He's just shadow boxing in the corner over there. Yeah.
5: But the big reason I wanted to We're do. In the, do the, corner. Corner. <laughs> <laughs> the main reason I wanted to do the common problems segment is to help people identify the, the actual you know, issues that are going on. So say we go back to like laminated root rot, which you mentioned, like what, how do you, how do you identify that? How do you know what's going on there?
3: It's, it's very similar um, to other uh, root rot type diseases where you're going to initially notice the dieback in the crown, right? And that's, that's pretty common. And and that's, that's probably a statement that we should make. Uh, It's, it's um, relevant to certainly Doug fir, but really any tree that's kind of a, a basic 101. When you, when you start to see crown decline, the first place you want to, you know, and it's a little counterintuitive, but when you see dieback in the top of the tree, the first place you want to start really looking for the problem is actually in the roots, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be one of the uh, uh, definite signs.
0: As a matter of fact, anytime you're diagnosing a tree, start out by looking down. Mm-hmm. That, that's the number one rule.
2: Yep. Look down, look up, look at the whole tree, look at the whole picture. If you miss you know one little thing that could be part of the diagnosis, you know if you don't look at the base closely enough and you you know you find a uh, fruiting body, but you look up at the tops and you see all this dieback, you could mis misdiagnose it because you haven't seen that one little uh, fruiting body that's buried at the base. All right, right. I so saw.
5: I, th- I think it was with laminated root rot that the fruiting body is like rarely observed, mm-hmm. you know. So you, it's not something you're going to see. So I'm just wondering, like how th- how the heck like, can I tell that this is laminated root rot? <laughs> Uh, that's I saw it rots just below the root crown, uh, the reddish stain, which is why I thought maybe that was the, the red, uh, the, the red ring rot that you were talking about, but I think that's something completely different. It sounds is. like. And with furs, don't you get a bunch of sap dripping out of the trunk?
0: Usually with basal. Yeah. Uh, or butt rod issues. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, or a bulge. You see a big bulge at the base and a bunch, bunch of sap leaking down.
2: Bulges are bad, man. Bulges are bad. I think you and th- in this context
5: white gray mycelium on the bark surface of the roots uh, reddish mycelium between layers of the rotted wood and like i said there's the flat like gray brown fruiting bodies but it, the note said that it was infrequently observed so it just must not be something you commonly see maybe it's like under the roots or something under on the underside i don't know i don't know if that helped anyone identify laminated root rot but how about armillaria you guys Know much about that?
0: No, our malaria might be the one where
5: you get the pitch dripping. It sound, it seemed like from all the ones or I was might be seeing, both. like that. If you're if you're seeing it uh, push resin out of the base, then there's a butt rot going on. But figuring yeah. out which one it is, fair you know, enough, might be a little difficult. But I I would say if you've got a butt rot going on to the point where you, it's bulging,
0: or you got uh sap pushing out of the base. Uh, you probably have a problem, and it's worth further investigation.
2: And armillaria is also called honey, um, honey, mush or, uh, honey mushroom, honey mushroom. Um, yep. So you'll see those little, the little honey mushrooms. You know they're fairly distinctive. It's a small cluster of a bunch of different individual mushroom caps, and those are those do have a fruiting body, so they're yep. you know pretty readily available. To,
5: yeah, they um, come out in the fall. Mm-hmm. They got like a goldish uh, brown cap with a ring on the stem, mm-hmm.
2: and I believe they're edible.
5: Yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I've never eaten one. I
2: never have either. So <laughs> a tree thinking experience. Yeah. I guess that's going to have to happen. Watch as this I fall. just
5: grab mushrooms off the ground. I've never <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> never <laughs> eaten that one. Well, you eat mostly off a of dog poop. Right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, I think it's uh, actually cow poop. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Oh, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's why he's different more. <laughs> <mushroom>. <laughs> it's like, guys, I'm not feeling anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: feel really sick. You're going to have to eat more of that, man. Yeah. <laughs>
5: So armillaria, also called shoestring rot. Mm-hmm. And that's because you, you see the, uh, like, white lines
0: of the fungus traveling through the fibers in the rotten wood, I mycelium. think. Mycelium. The mycelium,
5: yep. The mycelium network. <laughs> and I think, oh, yeah. So here, if you get um, peel back the bark at the base, you'll see the mycelium. It's, it's like a fan-shaped sheets of mycelium, and that's like a, a tall tail, or... That's a way to tell that that that's what you got going on.
3: Uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> after the tree has failed, uh, one of the common things that I've I've noticed with our is the, um, I mean it's a root decay, fungi, and you get into uh, these roots and and basically what you what you realize is that that kind of the root plate there has just been completely uh, destroyed by decay. But once you actually feel the, the like the texture of the wood, it's um it's really spongy, mm-hmm. it's the it, and kind of viscous. It's it's almost like a th- Thick, gritty toothpaste. It is. Huh, yeah. the, the, the 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 wood has actually been just reduced to. I mean, it's it's pretty surprising. I've seen it. You know, of course, in in Douglas fir and, and things like Oregon white oak. Um, you know, a lot of times, especially after uh, disturbances in the roots, you know, a lot of times armillaria armillaria is widespread. I mean, it's 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 endophytic. It's it's in the soil in most places, and it's just kind of there waiting. It, it's opportunity, right? And then it moves in, and I, I've just seen that so many times. Where you get into these big fir trees, or you get into these, uh, whatever tree has failed from malaria, and you get in there, and you can, I mean, just the the texture of the wood, uh, right there at the at the the buttress, is just, it, it's like thick, gritty, tooth uh, toothpaste. That's, the face. that's it's, it's the only way I could describe it. I mean, it's just it, it's surprising, and and you think about it, it's like, uh, and that's the one exception I would say where. Uh, for whatever reason, armillaria is not always as evident in the in the canopy of the tree. Okay, um, there have been times when I've seen trees that have failed from armillaria that really didn't show a lot of crown symptoms, and th- you know that's yeah. that's kind of a little bit distressing as well. You know, you want to kind of be really mindful about changes to uh, uh, your grade things. You know, if, if you're introducing water to an area that previously wasn't. Sprinkler uh, wet, systems yeah, around. Like Oregon, so sprinkler white systems Oaks. or you're, you're getting in yeah. you're messing with the drainage on your property. Uh that can certainly lead to that. But that, that's one of the common characteristics of armillary But it a lot of times you find it after the fact. I mean it's it's kind of a post mortem uh symptom, I guess I would say. Yeah.
5: I remember hearing a while ago that the. Armillaria, the honey mushroom, is like one of the largest organisms on Earth. I think it's somewhere here in Oregon. There's this oh, yeah. It's
3: yeah. a different species. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah it is. Multiple species of armillaria. Yeah, I've this heard one's that
0: same thing, that armillaria is the biggest organism. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I have, I have too. But this is armillaria malia. Okay. So M-E-L-L-E-A. Right.
5: Why you got to bring my daughter into it?
2: <laughs> Wikipedia did, not, not me.
5: So I think another one I saw was blackstain. Are you guys familiar with that? I am not. <laughs> Me neither. Just this little bit of research. <laughs>
3: but we'll. It's not one that I've heard of very I'll often. We'll
5: stab in the dark at it. Well, what's what's one uh, another common one?
2: Well, the the red ring root rot. I mean, I guess we can talk about yeah, that a little yeah. bit. So we talked about the the fungal puffs, Well, they look like puffs, but they're fungal fruiting bodies, right? And that's usually, again, it's it's kind of like the. Um, our malaria, it's kind of a post-mortem thing. Like the tree's already dead by the time you start seeing the puffs or it's, you know, well on its way out. That's kind of, it's one of those things that you can't really, it's best to remove those when you see those, so that you're reducing those, those fungal fruiting bodies and it's not spreading to other, other trees in that same population. But once the tree has got it, it's kind of, it's kind of game over. Yeah. At least that's been my, my experience with them. I don't know if anybody else has a different experience with that. It's well on the way. It's well on the way. Yep. Yeah, and those are those are some funky trees to climb because they're just dead. Yeah, and funky.
0: Those are some other ones that kind of get get a little squirrely under you. It's a little 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 bit
2: of a pucker factor <laughs> going on <Yeah>. with those.
0: <laughs> well, does anybody have any other uh, common issues with these furs before we get on to uh, just random facts?
5: Um, I mean. Failure profile, I guess. Like, what's what's a common? Oh yeah. What, what happens to these trees? Limb failures. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, so, you know, so many. <laughs> all the, well, all the limb storms. Failures. The the storms that affect these
0: the most that I've noticed are big wind storms, mm-hmm. and particularly if you have a big rain and wind event. So the roots uh, get saturated with soil, and then you get hit by a big wind. That's those are the storms that I can re- remember. Just cleaning up furs off of houses. Yep. Um. You know, it's you, like
5: full tree failure. Full
0: tree failures. You know, sometimes you get four or five trees stacked on top of each other. You know, kind of stuff.
2: And then just by themselves, just they do shed those limbs all the time. Like mm-hmm. hot weather. Yep. Rain, wind, snow, ice. Like they'll just. So how do you
3: combat that? What What can you do about that? Cut the tree down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Tre big trees are scary eric come on <laughs> yeah you're, we already covered this you don't want them over your solar panels <laughs> you
3: don't want it no you don't want over your solar panels.
2: so how can you combat that eric I, th- I think you've done something about about that at your property haven't you
3: i have yeah i have a bunch of dug fur on my property and uh they were unfortunately planted i think the closest one to my house is literally six feet away from the foundation and it's it's over 100 feet tall you know I, and i'm fine with it um It's not uh, affecting the foundation of the house at this point, but it does shed branches, right? And so we we use a technique called tipping, not to be confused with topping, tipping, right? And this is, it's super tedious, and I think that a lot of folks, um, here's the deal, it's kind of a hard thing to sell because you're not taking a lot of material and you're spending a lot of time doing it, right? And that, for somebody who doesn't know a lot about trees, that's kind of a hard thing to understand, right? But I I go up in these trees. I'll I'll climb them every few years, and I I literally just go through them with a pole pruner, and I'm taking uh tips, you know, and we're talking like thumb size cuts that might be two feet long max, Yep. literally off the terminations of every single branch. Wow, and it just keeps these uh, fir trees from their branches from becoming overextended, you know. Uh, that's really where you run into problems. It's when they, they, I mean, fir trees, they're, they're fast growing trees and they want to spread really wide, especially if they're out in the open and not in a grove setting, right. Where they're, they're competing for sunlight. They, those branches are going to grow 40 to 50 feet long easily. Mm-hmm. And so, so th- th- yeah, the way to combat that is literally just to go over the tree and just go to town with a Fred Marvin or, you know, what pulper pruner of choice, whatever you like. Uh, but it, it's amazing. And I do that all the way up to the top of the tree. In fact, in my particular case with my trees, because they're so close to the house, I actually don't want them to get much taller. So I actually take that terminal bud off the top and I go up every few years and kind of clean out the, you know, cause it's going to try to grow, you know, multiple tops.
0: You're making giant Christmas trees. Yeah. You're like a hedger. Yeah. I know. Hedger.
3: I feel like I should get one of those utility line, uh, uh, saws. I was oh, yeah. was <laughs> helicopters. If I could get one of those, that yeah. was like slightly angled. It would be just perfect. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, uh, the trees look great, and you don't notice the pruning at all, That's but basically cool. what it does, it keeps those limbs, you know, I mean, everybody who's in this industry knows, you, you know, when you're doing weight reduction, you don't really need to take a lot off to make a big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and it just keeps those, uh, the nice thing is, is it keeps those limbs in check, but then everything behind that, all those latent buds are going to start to pop. Yeah, Doug, for if you, um, so they're not great about uh, uh, setting new buds on, on non-green wood. Right. So like if you prune a branch really heavily and you prune past all the green, it's not going to like completely re-sprout. Right. But what I found, though, like with edge effect, Douglas fir or when you're doing tipping, if you're if you're methodical and not too don't get too carried away, they actually will sprout off of um, trunk wood or branch wood, provided that you leave some green. And Mm -hmm. it's a slow process. But, um, you know, unfortunately, the property that I live on uh, was logged but when i look at the edge effect trees on the side you know we've been in this house for about 15 years and the amount of new branches that have sprouted off the the dug fir on that edge effect is amazing i mean huh. we're talking like a tremendous amount i mean a whole 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 half of a canopy essentially um so yeah they 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 actually will uh sprout really well and that gives you uh future uh spots to cut back to right when you want to do weight reduction you start doing it just really slow um, a little bit at a time and all these new buds will sprout and then you can actually start to work those branches so if you if you start with a fur that's already gotten pretty overextended that's my advice is just start start nipping back really slow it's a multi-year process but you can start working those branches br- back um and 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 honestly it, it's amazing that that fir tree at this point does not lose branches even in the heaviest uh snow wind whatever that, that almost- I've got a half dozen of them that are Huh, that's that
2: seems like it almost ties into a conversation we were having earlier. Maybe, <laughs> so the five thousand dollars that you would have either saved right. or had somebody to come out and remove that, right? That's consistent pruning that you're doing every what, two years, three years?
3: Yeah, I do it about every three years. Every
2: three years, yeah. Hmm. Yep. Crazy paycheck every three years. Just it's there, and you're taking care of a tree, and you're helping the property. Owner. What's it?
5: What's it like at the cut? Does it like sprout out? Nope. So I know, like with a redwood, I've seen yes. that happen where it kind where of sprouts out. Where you get a, this up. cluster. Yeah, of, yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, you're going to get some some sprouting be, behind it, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to look. You, it's going to basically uh, focus that energy on the the branch that's just behind the but, cut.
5: I mean, that's kind of good, right? A little behind. mass dampening behind that's, it. That's yeah. what you're it's looking great. to do. Yeah, and great.
0: I've I've seen those trees, and I didn't know that's what you're doing to them. You'd never guess. You know, what they're and that's that's the type of stuff a tree a per, uh, tree person looks for. You know, right. The, the two things that... Well, I you've would, done it with your pine right out here. Yeah, except for that's a little more extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the two things I would say about that is uh, a great way to sell that is to remind people that uh, the way leverage works yes. is if something is going horizontally out, if you remove the furthest 10%, you're actually removing 50% of the pull down on that branch. Yep. And that's not trees, that's anything. That's just the 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 you know the way physics work. And the other thing is if you're going to do that, don't make too big of a cut. It's really tempting to it make is. a big cut because it's easier. It's a kind of a pain in the ass to get especially up high to do that. Yep. And if you make a big cut, it'll start leaking pitch. Yep. And uh, that can be a problem because a, a place a lot of people like to do that is over the driveway because they're worried about something failing on their car and you don't want to start drop dripping pitch onto somebody's car because then you get complaints for nice. sure. <laughs> but, you know, those Hot are the tip. two things that come yep. to mind when about those.
3: And that would have, to answer your question earlier, that would have been the worst reason to remove a Douglas fir. Yeah. I, I recently had uh, uh, turned down some folks that wanted to remove a, a Douglas fir because it was dripping uh, pitch on their, their deck. Yeah, I've done the same thing. And it's like, you know, you, you you look at it, there's 20 drops of pitch on the deck, and they're saying it's unusable, and it's like, no, nope, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Buy an awning. Sorry. Bye. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I know a guy there's, that'll sell you on fear. Yeah. yeah. There's there's lots of them. Yeah. The yeah. uh,
0: pitch is acidic. You got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's it's the cure for COVID. Yeah. That's what I've been telling folks. <laughs> <laughs> Just go rolling it a little bit. You'll be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that that's a that's a great kind of tip though for it's something you see quite a bit is people wanting to condense big firch branches. And I, one thing that really, uh, stuck with me, what you said is taking little bits over time. When, when I think of prunings like that, when they want a branch condensed, I like to think about doing it over five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. So don't sell them like, Oh yeah, I can bring it back all at once. Sell them about, Oh, we'll bring it back a little bit. We'll bring it back again. And that way you have something to, cause why that pitch is coming out and dripping is because it's it, the tree thinks that there's still branch there, so it's pushing all that out there to fill that branch, but there's no branch there, so it just drops it on your car. But if you slowly bring it back, it puts on that new growth, then it's going to be pushing that pitch into that new growth instead of out onto the car.
5: Hmm. Yep. Here's another thing I've heard is people want their trees limbed up, like aggressively limbed oh. up because they're afraid of the branches failing. But actually, if you're reducing the weight <laughs> on the lower ones, they're going to protect you from, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> a small limb coming max velocity from yep. the top and smashing mm-hmm. through your, such
2: a good you plane, know, roof yep. or whatever. Yep. It, so. It's
3: a safety, it's a literal safety net of branches. Yep, yep. Honestly, one of the, so when I'm uh, even just deadwooding a fir tree, right, so now this just gets down to personal choice. I, you know, I spend a lot of time. Out in the back country, I love the look of like a natural dug fur, mm-hmm. right? I and I when so and uh, you know I live out in a, a forested area, you know. So my trees, when we tar- start talking about dead wood, I'm leaving stobs, yeah. like you know, three foot long stobs. And it's like if I come across one, I give it the kick test. If I can kick it three times and it doesn't break, I'm just going to leave it. Yeah. But even if it's dead wood that's say twenty feet long, I'm going to make it look really natural and start to make that angled cut on the top, and then just let it snap away and then just leave it. Because think about that. How many times you, you know when a fur a fir branch breaks, it typically is going to, you know, it's it's got that downward pressure, whether it's snow, wind, whatever it is, and then it breaks, and then it goes down in first, yeah, right? Uh Because that's just, because of the way that it's peeling away from the tree, that's just what happens. It goes down in first, and that, those stobs actually will, a lot of times, hang branches up, right? So they don't, so yeah, you may have to go up and get the branch, but it's also, it's still up it's in been the tree. stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been be- because of the configuration of the branches and the angle at which it's going downward, and it hits these stops. A lot. I've seen a lot of times where it's just hung that branch in the tree, and then you've got the opportunity to either go, you know, get a throw line in it and pull it out in the direction you want or climb up Remove it, rig it down, whatever you got to do, but it's yeah. it's kind of a safety net, and, and I just love that natural look. Like, yeah, there's, and maybe it's just uh, the way that my brain works, but I just I think of those gnarly old Doug firs, those old growth ones, and and I when I see a Doug fir that's like perfectly cleaned out, I'm just like, nope, that doesn't look right. Nope. Yeah. yeah, and
0: that uh, deadwood they've actually found, the tree is pulling nutrients from that deadwood to reuse. So if you're if you're removing all the deadwood you might be removing some of the nutrients the tree is going to use to help it heal that wound.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a carbon sink or, uh, uh, sorry, a uh, carbohydrate uh, sugar sink. Yep, yep. Or bank. So
0: You know, I like the idea of, like, take out the tip of it, take out that leverage. But, you know, if you're leaving a, a stub, a big stub, you can't kick it off, it's not going to hurt anything, and the tree is going to use that,
5: you know, f- for its health. Yeah, when yeah. I sell tree work, I sell, like, hazard mitigation. You know, so just like you were saying, that big limb is, it's over the, you know, area where the kids play or whatever. Yeah, it's hazardous, but you could totally take it back to the stub, have a nice, you know, stable thing on there that's not going to fall off and hurt anyone, but leaving the deadwood, leave the deadwood whenever possible. It's, it's my approach because it doesn't need to come off. You're hurt. You're cutting on the tree. You're not making it healthier by (laughs) removing the deadwood. You're not. You can. Yeah. Yeah. And we've
2: all worked in those big dug furs and like just the amount of branches, you're up on the top of the canopy, you're cutting, like, a few small little hangers out of the canopy, how many times on your way back down to the the trunk do you have to fish that thing out again? (laughs) Like, it's never just you just drop it and it falls to the ground. It's like you drop it and it gets hung up 20 feet below you, and then you drop it 20 feet again.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to make a quick point going back to the common problems. um, Here in the Pacific Northwest, we have OSU which is just an incredible resource for trees Mm -hmm. um so if you're here and you got a question (laughs) we didn't answer (laughs) you know (laughs) head over there they have this cool diagnosis table so it's like douglas fir oak and pine and it'll it'll say so description your douglas fir what's going on with it foliage is sparse thinning turning light green yellow and then it's got a big list of this could be what's going on so check it out um
3: They've got a world class forestry and plant pathology yeah. Uh, yeah uh set up there. It's it you know, it's amazing. It, it's really amazing. OSU is a a phenomenal yeah institution.
5: Like this. Yeah, so for this part of the world I would say go check uh check them out. It's a great tool to have. Where do we go from there? Uh,
2: <laughs> random facts. Yeah, let's oh, go find facts. some cool facts. All right.
0: You know, uh, one thing that's real cool—you don't really think about Doug firs very often, but they are an incredible food source for the oh, forest yeah. around them. You know, everything from the tree voles eating the needles, porcupines—I think eat the bark. I like, get into that cambium. There's food in there. A lot of rodents will eat the the uh, pine cones. You know, so you don't really think of Doug furs as a food source, but they are. They are, yeah. And I think some of it is stuff humans could eat. I think we could eat, like, in a survival situation. I'll bet there's, I'll bet the seeds are edible.
2: You can make tea out of the leaves. Yep, tea out of the
0: needles. Uh, I think some of the cambium, you probably wouldn't want to make, you you wouldn't want that to be the staple of your diet, or you might get a little clogged up, but (laughs) they're... There is nutrients within it that, you know, would be better than nothing in a survival situation. Yeah, and if
2: you cooked it down enough, you could probably derive some kind of nutrients out of it. You know, oh, guaranteed you a, could. Make a pitch stew or something. Yeah.
0: Again, it might not be uh, a good long-term fix, but, uh, you know, in a pinch, it'd be better than nothing.
3: I know there's a few gins on the market that have things like spruce, but Douglas fir is also one of those.
0: There's Douglas so, fir brandy.
3: Yes. And, and I even had a uh, uh, an ale that was a Douglas fir ale. Ooh. I actually Doug, went
0: to a local liquor store because I was going to try to find some Douglas Fir booze for us tonight, but they did not have it
5: in <laughs> stock. I've, I've seen like ferocious, Douglas yeah. ferocious, Doug, but I don't know if they have fur in it, maybe. Doug Furlicious? That's I feel right, like. That's yeah. That,
2: is that uh, Deschutes? I feel like it has. So We've got to we gotta look it up. We gotta look for it sure. Up. We gotta, um, but yeah, going back to the seed crop, or going back to the food source, like according to this, 65% of each annual seed crop is consumed by moles, shrews, and chipmunks. of a seed crop and like Doug furs are prolific, um, cedars. Oh yeah. They have so many cones on them. Just think of how many, how many seeds there are just, you know, spreading on the forest floor.
0: Yeah. Hey, uh, another cool random fact. Oh, you got something, Jamie?
5: No, I just think it's funny that I've had this laptop open and I'm only using it to Google beer. <laughs> <laughs> just the imp- just the important questions, Jamie. Just yeah, the important yeah.
2: questions. Yeah.
0: So another cool fact is uh, the ancient Hawaiians. You know, there's no there was no native furs in Hawaii. But it was a prized wood for them because these giant trees will wash up on their shores, and so they would use it to create uh, canoes. So you, they get these giant logs, and it was like it was a big deal when this big log, you know, they'd make a bunch of canoes out of it, and it was a a prized possession.
2: Probably preserved much the same way that we were talking about the ones sunk over in the Bay of uh, Japan, right?
0: Oh, guaranteed. (sighs) And and you think about you know in the size of the logs that were probably washing up. In Hawaii, I mean, how many canoes could you make out of an old-growth fur log washing up on Waikiki Beach? I mean, at and least, at least one, right?
3: And what are the chances? Think about that. Yeah. I mean, Hawaii is a small island in a giant ocean. <laughs> yeah, like, what, it, I'm sorry, but if they're a Douglas fir washing up on Hawaii, like how many of those things are actually floating around out in the ocean <laughs> yeah. totally? It's yeah. Or gotta just be a buried more. to the bottom, yeah. perfectly preserved. because wow. Un- I mean,
0: It'll preserve it for hundreds of years. Huh. Right? So there's probably just amazing trees at the bottom
5: of the Pacific.
3: Oh, there's got to be.
5: Wow. One even made it into Loch Ness, and it's commonly seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Loch Ness just built yeah. a home out of it.
5: I am seeing a lot of beer recipes with Doug Fir, so.
2: All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're
5: confirmed, and it's ferocious. Doug
2: Ferocious. Ferocious, okay. Not licious. Yeah. <laughs> Doug Fir also played an important part in American history. So when the USS Constitution had to be rebuilt, they were out of white pine, uh, eastern white pine, I believe. Uh, they were the wh- eastern white pine weren't tall enough to build the masts. So the three masts on the USS Constitution are now Doug Fir.
4: Oh, cool!
5: Wow! Wow! wow. Yeah.
2: In the nineteen twenties, I think they did that.
5: Well, we're here in Oregon. It was made our state tree in 1936,
2: and it's on our flag. <laughs> yeah. it's on our license our plate, license and mm-hmm. it's on pretty much everything else. that says in Oregon. our beer, in our beer,
5: oh. Douglas fir brandy. Has anyone tried that? Well, I mean, I know what we're. Rough, we're I know what we're gonna try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we
4: might have a rough podcast coming
0: <laughs> up. <laughs>
2: If you want to to listen to us drink an entire bottle of Douglas fir brandy and then talk about trees,
3: give us five stars. Like us.
2: Follow us.
0: (laughs) Or just send us a bottle of Douglas fir brandy. (laughs) Or
3: that too. You can do that too. What's the tallest, Doug fir, you think you've climbed?
2: Well, uh, the one that I climbed with you, the 307, 308?
3: 307. 307. Yeah,
5: 307. Yeah, that'd be mine too. I'm guessing it's the same one. Mm
3: -hmm. Same tree, yeah. yeah.
5: I climbed one that was about 320,
0: right around there. Yeah. Same. But it is gone. It is. it, oh, it burned Yeah. Up. Yeah. It burned up. In, oh, no. In the in Fall Creek uh, fires years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, is what it is. Yep. Should we maybe.
5: 300
2: Club, though. That's awesome. Yeah.
5: yeah. yeah. 300 yeah. Club. We're all there. We're all yeah. There. <laughs> Should we maybe do? Do you have more facts, Corey? I
2: got another fact. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, uh, Sudisugo macrocarpa. They are combining those two. They're making a hybrid with um, menziesii. Right. Uh, sorry, macrocarpa, the one down in uh, southern California. They're combining that, and they're finding that it uh, it produces the same uh, a, a comparable lumber to the just the menziesii, right? But it's more drought resistant. Oh. that's good. So that's good.
3: Yeah. Actually, you know, one of the things we really haven't talked about is, like, what are the conditions that, that Doug fir would thrive in, right? And we, because we're seeing so many that are dying here uh, in the Northwest. And we're finding that they're, you know, to be honest, they they kind of have a narrow slice that they really like to grow in as far as uh, climate and just conditions in general. Because we're seeing they're, they're not a very uh, water-tolerant tree in terms of heavy soil. Now, obviously, you know, to say that they're not a water-tolerant tree in the Northwest is a very broad generalization, but if you have a heavy clay soil and a very wet environment, doug fir is not going to do well. And you see a lot of, um, you know, I mean, you just see so many uh, uh, reprod plantings where they, that's all they plant is Douglas fir. I mean, they're blanketing hillsides in Douglas fir. And they, you know, when you get down into the draws and into those uh, creek beds, and if you have a heavier soil in those areas, they're not going to do well, mm. right? So they uh, and they don't do well in uh, extreme heat. Like we've had here recently. Now, it's one thing if they're growing up on, say, the east side of the Cascades, and that's what they've grown up in. That, that's one thing. But when we have these big shifts in uh, temperature, really extreme heat, it's very clear that they don't like that either, right? So um, they're not, uh, for as abundant as they are, I guess this is a point that I'm trying to make, that as, as abundant as they are, they're not the most adaptable tree. They just really happen to be there in numbers, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're certainly not a climax tree in the Northwest. Uh, forest, right? They're they're not shade tolerant, right? These are trees that are going to be some of the, you know, they may may not necessarily be a, a pioneer species, but they're not far from it. Yeah. Right? And well, going so you gonna think
0: about one of the problems we have around here, is you get the oak savannas that shade out the dug firs and they can't grow up through Bingo. the oak canopies. Bingo.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because they're so fire adapted, and especially with that thick bark, that's their saving grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So that's how they don't get out-competed by more shade tolerant things like grand fir or hemlock. Um, uh, you know that that otherwise would just kind of sit there and uh, just slowly, slowly eke out their living in the shade. Uh, yeah. They're going to grow sparse and kind of tall and skinny. And the second one of those dug fir topples, they are going to capitalize on that new sunlight. And and that those ultimately would be your more climax species in a, in a much older forest. But it's really that that big, uh, thick bark that they have that makes them so fire resistant. Um, but yeah, uh, in general, you know, we're just seeing so much die off here in the northwest. It is becoming alarming, and when you, especially when you couple that with the, the leaf scorch, um, you know I wouldn't be surprised if a hundred years from now Douglas fir is not going to be the the dominant tree that it is right now. It, to be honest, what I see replacing it here in the Northwest, or at least on the west side of the Cascades frankly is willamette valley ponderosa pine yeah Yeah. Uh, which
0: are great trees too i'll bet we'll be doing that one pretty damn soon
3: and so who would think let let me ask you this who would think that a ponderosa pine it's a now granted it's a willamette valley ponderosa pine but it's still a ponderosa pine would be more water tolerant than doug fir most people would not believe that and yet i've seen in incredibly heavy soils willamette valley ponderosa pine thrive wow so um you know as as our forests evolve, uh, and as quickly as things are changing these days, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not a betting person, but I wouldn't be surprised if 100, 200 years down the road, that uh, Doug fir is no longer the dominant forest conifer here in the Northwest.
0: Yep, yeah, I. Bondy for the win. I, yeah, I'm not take, I'm not betting against that. Yeah. You know, hey.
2: Uh, One final fact. As of 2012, the only wooden ships still currently in use by the United States Navy are Avenger class minesweepers, and they're made of Douglas fir. Uh, Cool. So they're still defending America. Yeah. Nice. At least from mines.
0: Is there anything that Douglas fir can't do? It's protecting (laughs) America.
2: Well, apparently, withstand drought. Yeah. Uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) Damn it.
5: Well, should we maybe do like stories from the field like memorable stories you've had in a dug fur to kind of wrap it up? Or do you got more more to go? I mean, I've got
2: no, I'm done.
0: Let's do a final thought slash talk about some time that you remember being in a fur that just changed your tree game.
5: Who's going for it? Me? Yeah. Okay. Jamie, what you got? Um, final thoughts. I'm super stoked to be doing these episodes, you know this podcast as a whole is making me a better arborist and this format is going to make me a better arborist and hopefully it, it helps other people this has been super cool but so it's stories about firs. i started tree work in southern oregon and we we're working on ponderosa pines mostly and some you know black oaks ponderosa pines cottonwoods we didn't really have many dug firs; they were kind of on the cascades ashland the town of ashland kind of sits on the Siskiyou side in the rogue valley so there's the Siskiyou's and the Cascades and we're we're dealing with a lot more pine and oak and firs I wasn't climbing that often once I moved to Eugene I'm climbing a fir basically every day now (laughs) (laughs) it's easily the most common tree that I work on and it was kind of interesting learning to work on a fir it was just totally different pines it typically the ponderosa pines their branches don't act like a doug fir branch where it's like a doug fir branch eight inch diameter 40 feet long you know it's a little weird to get way out there and it was just a a cool experience learning how to move around a new tree Mm -hmm. and now it's something i am doing every day of the week basically i'm climbing a fir tree learning how to rig learning how to get stuff out of that upper canopy um really grown to enjoy them at first i didn't i was like oh, i gotta climb another fir I gotta climb another fir. but yeah, now yeah. i'm starting to like getting getting around the limb walks are super fun um figuring out rigging is, is a lot of fun um so yeah it's a cool tree that's, that's all i got <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah d- uh, ditto to what you're saying I'm, I'm uh really excited that we're gonna be doing tree of the month I, I haven't spent a lot of time on the podcast and i was really excited to get the invite and uh you know, as much as I love to climb I'm I'm a total nerd too when it comes to tree ID uh so yeah uh, and I'm kind of a rare plant collector and uh so this is really exciting for me to to be here to uh be able to offer you know some info on this but um yeah and just generally speaking I mean that you know Doug fir, it's one of my favorite trees. I mean, it's hard to pick a single favorite tree, and that's the case for most folks. But uh, it's one of the trees that really brought me out here. You know, seeing these trees in in photographs and in movies and on television. You know, I'm an Ohio uh, native, and seeing this from a little kid, I knew from about the age of about five years old that I was going to wind up out here in the Northwest. And the Doug fir is just such an iconic piece of that. And, yeah, so that's what I would say is that – it's my favorite place to be is up in an old growth dug for just looking over the, the beauty of the cascades. Um, they're, they're just so magnificent and I never get sick of them. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just never get sick of them and I always get so excited. I mean, I, I just, when I look at my GPS, I have so many of these things logged, uh, from just, just back country, you know, walking around, no trails out in the woods and I just find these magnificent trees and it's like, you know, nobody's probably seen this tree or not, not many people have seen this tree ever. And it's, uh, it's just amazing. I have, I have a really good catalog of these big trees, and it's just, uh, it really is is kind of what does it for me. I, I just, I, I love them so much. So, yeah, happy to be talking about them, and I'm really happy to be climbing in them here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, so I'm, I, I kind of
2: echo Jamie's sentiment. I, you know, grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I've been a tree climber in the Pacific Northwest for my entire career. I've climbed other places, but that's, you know, 99.99% of my climbs have been here. So I've climbed in a lot of Doug firs and I'm, I'm kind of at the point where like, unless it's like an old growth, I'm not going to be enjoying it. Like I I really don't like working (laughs) in Doug firs. Like they're, They're they're, they're pitchy. It is, it is a challenge and that's, that's, I appreciate the challenge about them. I don't appreciate actually doing it. I appreciate it afterwards. Like going through doing a big climb and being like, Oh great. I, you know, I got through it. I did all this. It was tough, but I got through it. But actually like, cutting the branches and have every single one like break like you when you're halfway through it <laughs> like trying to do a limb walk and then having the whole limb break and yeah I just I'm not a huge fan of working on that being said um there is a really cool specimen here in town on uh Jackson and 10th just south of uh just south of 10th kind of near Monroe Park it's a weeping
3: dwarf douglas fir know exactly the tree you're talking yeah. about
2: and it, it's one of the biggest, you know, weeping dwarf Douglas firs I've seen. And that one just like, I don't know, there was just something about it. I was like, what the
3: hell is that a Douglas fir? That the, thing is The cultivar on that is called Graceful Grace. And if you're if you're a tree nerd like me, Google that. We don't need to talk about it here. But mm-hmm. you know, picture's worth a thousand words, but go Google it. Graceful Grace. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a, basically a Douglas fir that has um you actually have to prop the leader to get it to grow upright, but all the grand, all the branches will grow very pendulous. They just droop straight down. And actually, if you don't stake that that central leader, it'll actually just bow over and <laughs> just start to grow prostrate on the ground, which is wow. pretty crazy. Wow. I got, I got to plant me one of those at my place. At any rate, just the
2: the wide variety from the old growth to the you know stands of dug firs that you'll see replanted for uh, forestry to uh, a weeping uh, a graceful grace like. What an incredible tree. Like just how the, the wide variety of species and specimens that you'll see of this thing is just kind of mind blowing to me, even though they're a pain to climb. I still appreciate (laughs) it.
0: Well, I think for my final thoughts, one, just echoing everything you guys are saying, this is awesome doing a tree of the week. Um, as someone who's always been really production oriented in the field, most of my knowledge is on doing the work on the rigging on the climbing, and so this is just such a great opportunity for me to learn more about individual trees and really dive deep into them and so I really look forward to doing these episodes um and it's awesome, I and mean, we're just starting it who knows where this is all gonna go um and kinda you know all my the last twenty two years I've been climbing trees in Eugene, so Douglas fir is such a staple of it. It is the, the smell of it, the taste of the needles, the, uh, yummy, yummy taste. Oh, the iconic for me, you (laughs) know, the, the workflow of, you know, if you give me like a hundred foot Doug fur removal, it might be where I'm most dialed in on doing a removal just, you know, with my eyes closed. So it it's really fun, kind of talking about these trees and going to another level, which and learning new stuff about them because the Doug fir is tree work in Eugene, Oregon. You know, it it really
5: is just what it is. So uh, I think a company could make a living just doing firs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The like, fur expert. Yeah, yeah, I only work in Doug firs. That's yeah. it. Well, <laughs> furlicious is the company name <laughs> <laughs> ferocious or furlicious yeah. i like furlicious yeah that, that's way better phenomenal <laughs> <laughs> <Furnominal. laughs>
0: but it you know it it's just uh it's a very fitting first tree of the month for a podcast based in Eugene Oregon uh so with that i'm going to say stay safe and stay out of them bullpits <laughs>